0: Hey, this is Matthew's Table podcast channel. We wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and reminds you of who you are, but more importantly, whose you are. Check, 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 check. Can you hear me? Hi, right, can you guys hear me? Well, good morning and let the neighbors hear us. Give a shout out to the Lord. It's okay, right? Yeah, we're so happy that you guys chose to worship with us this morning. We're glad that you're here. I hope that everybody feels safe. Um, Just so you know, this past week we got a new roof put on the sanctuary there. If you guys can see that. And there's a lot of uh, debris and stuff that fell and that was uh, all over the floor. We haven't had a chance to clean that up, so we wanted to go ahead and just worship out here on the lawn. It's a beautiful day. I'm glad we did. I'm going to pray and uh, we'll get started. If you guys would, just pray with me. Father, we give thanks for such a beautiful day. We give thanks for Jesus Christ alone. We give thanks for what you've done with and through Him for each and every one of us. Lord, I ask... Personally, now that you be with me, that you speak through me. um, These mornings are the mornings I don't like the most because I feel a little confident in myself. And I I pray that away. I pray that I'm relying on you and trusting in you and that uh, there's nothing in me or of myself um, that I point to you and give all glory to you. We thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so real quick, you guys have been keeping up with and following us on the dollar ministry that we've been doing. Uh, this is not your tithe or your giving or your offering. This would just be, uh, some, well, it'd be more of an offering, something above and beyond that your committed tithe uh, where you, we just collectively, we, we put a dollar in um, in the baskets and I think somebody's going to come around and get those, I don't know who, but. Hopefully, yeah, heaven and uh, rowdy, maybe. Anyways, if y'all have a dollar, feel free to throw that in there. I can read you uh, from someone this past week that you guys were able to help, just so you know where that money's going and how it's helping people. It says, I'm going to read this to you. It says, Hi, I am Jessica Lee, I'm the director of of the women's facility at of Center. Earlier this week, I was messaged by Pastor Roger and asked if I'd had anyone that the church could bless financially. I instantly thought of Tiffany. Tiffany has some health issues that doesn't allow her to work. She's on disability. She's been patiently waiting for her disability to come through for seven months, which has put a hindrance on her being able to pay her rent, her client fees. But none of these things has kept Tiffany from giving her all and everything she does. (laughs) Tiffany has the most sweetest spirit. She's willing to volunteer and help with anything asked of her. She has the most giving heart that I have ever seen. Since being at Friends of Sinners, Tiffany has grown into a woman of God whose talk matches her walk. Tiffany's so thankful for this help on her rent and thanks each of you from the bottom of her heart. So give yourself a hand. That is the dollar ministry. So announcement-wise, uh, we did pull out the box right here for giving. So if you have um, your, your weekly tithe, you can drop it in the box, or you can also text to the number 7325673256, 73256 Matthew's Table, all together. No spaces, no apostrophes, no commas, nothing, just... Matthew's Table to 73256, and you can worship by way of giving uh, right here or text. Um, Also, Friday night, I think it's Friday night. Whatever the 25th is, I think that's Friday night, right? There is a men's event that we're having right here at Matthew's table. So we're inviting and asking all the men here, if you were to need a ride to that event, make sure you get with James Burdett who's standing in the very back back there. He can come pick whoever needs to come up and bring them to that event. We'll have a meal and then we'll have a speaker and we'll fellowship and we'll worship together. So we're inviting and asking all the men to join us. Uh, Friday night at 6 o'clock, the 25th, speakers average, but the fellowship will be great, the food will be good, and Stephen Kidd will be sharing with us on that night. Anyways, also, uh, all Matthew's Table people, be uh, watching for announcements from the Facebook page we are probably, uh, it's, it's kind of a cool thing, but in, even in the middle of a pandemic, we have been growing in number to the point where two weeks ago, we had to bring seats into the sanctuary, and that causes problems because we can't provide enough space for everybody to socially distance. So unfortunately, fortunately, we are going to go to two services next weekend, and I'll be providing you guys uh, more detail. Um, At this point, we're anticipating an 8 a.m. with no child care and a 10.45 a.m. regular service time with child care. Uh, So some of you committed to Matthew's table, we're going to lean on a little bit and ask that maybe you would... Uh, die to yourself and volunteer to come to the 8 a.m. service even though that's extremely early. Um, Nick will make sure he buys everybody Starbucks coffee that comes just get with him but we will be doing sign-ups again so that we can kind of manage how many people we have in each service and that we can provide enough safe distance for everybody to socially distance at each service. So those details will be coming out soon be Watching for those, uh, am I forgetting any announcements before I move forward? Anybody? No? Alright, let's just jump right in this morning. We are picking back up in uh, Galatians 2. We'll be starting Galatians 2 this morning. Uh, for those of you who've been with us or you've been following us on Facebook, you know that we are walking through Galatians chapter by chapter, verse by verse expositionally and uh, looking at and following um, Paul's continued defense of keeping the main thing, the main thing. What's the main thing? It's the good news of Jesus Christ that's rooted in and limited to grace and grace alone. I don't know why everybody's so far back like is this going to mess up the Facebook line? No? Oh, okay. I just feel like everybody's way out there. I can do that? You're so bossy, dude. I think I'm preaching on grace this morning. (laughs) I don't know, that's in my ears. But anyways, um, just keeping the main thing the main thing. The good news of Jesus Christ rooted in and limited to grace and grace alone. Something that no one here can earn and definitely something no one here, including myself, deserves. And as we'll continue to see, Paul makes a strong case that it's something that you can't add anything to. Right? So salvation plus anything equals nothing. Okay? Jesus plus nothing equals everything necessary to be right with God, which, by the way, if you don't know, has been argued for thousands of years and is still a source of dissension today among many Christians. There are many Christians, many churches in this community that would tell you that it is Jesus plus something else that equals salvation. And some of us might question this morning, as we pick up in chapter 2, why Paul would spend so much time on convincing the Galatians as to why grace alone is so important. And the answer is because the grace of God is scandalous. It goes against everything that you and I would choose for one another. It's shocking And it causes outrage for the Pharisee that lives inside of us. It's unexplainable and contrary to what seems reasonable or justifiable. And what's worse is, each Christian here was all saved by grace, and we all need grace every day, but struggle extending grace to others. To put it as simple as it's intended to be is grace doesn't make sense. Grace would look a lot like the zero property of multiplication. Are there any teachers in the crowd that may end up correct? You are not a teacher, Whammy. Yeah, let's just skip that, all right? Let's go back to this. I've learned my lesson now not to ask those questions. Grace would look a lot like the zero property of multiplication. If y'all don't know what that is, that's simply one times zero equals, but one plus zero equals, it doesn't make sense to me. I cannot make that make sense to me. I'd even watched YouTube videos this week of people that should be able to explain that not be able to explain that. All they do is give it a name and tell you that's what it is. Yet in math, it's a rule, and the rule stands. And we're all expected to apply that rule. And what I know is there's no better teacher on grace than the Apostle Paul. Some scholars and theologians would refer to Paul as the apostle of grace. And the reason is, is that the New Testament alone mentions grace over 130 times. And over 80 times of that, it's Paul talking about grace. And that's interesting because Paul was formerly a professor of the law. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees, he knew everything about the Old Testament law that you could possibly know. However, on the road to Damascus, he was schooled by the grace of God, forcing him to change his major and received a doctorate in grace because, and I need you guys to hear this, God's lesson plan for the believer is grace. Grace. That's what God desires to teach you the most. Okay? And school in Galatians chapter 2 is still in session. So if you would, turn your Bibles to or pull up your phone to Galatians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. And I'll read this to you in the event you didn't bring your Bible or have one with you. I know... This week we're outside so we don't have the Scripture up on the screen, so I can read this to you. If y'all follow along, verses 1-10. through Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. God shows no favoritism. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised Gentile and Jew, we would be Gentiles, God's original people would be Jews. Verse 8, For he worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles." And when James, Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars of the church, the Christian church, perceived the grace that was given to me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, only they asked us to remember the poor. The very thing Paul was eager to do. Amen. As a quick reminder for review's sake... Paul's arguing against the false teachers that came in behind him. He planted the churches in the region of Galatia. These false teachers come in behind him and told the churches or began to teach a false gospel that although they'd been saved by grace through faith, they needed to also obey the law. And get circumcised to be in right standing with God. So immediately, Paul teaches the one true gospel. They come in behind him and they add stuff to the gospel. So, Paul, in consideration of man's nature to find comfort in earning their own salvation, provides more details in verses 1 through 8 to support his argument that nothing was added to Paul to equip or qualify Him to minister the true gospel of grace. And so what I want to do real quick, that's a a long passage to preach through in just 45 minutes or so. So I'm going to walk through verses 1 through 8 to get to the heart of this passage. What seems to be the Spirit communicating the most. Verse 1, Paul says, Then... And he mentions 14 years before he went back. If you guys remember in verses 18 through 24, the end of chapter 1, we talked about, he said then after three years he went up and he only hung around the disciples for 15 15 days. Then after that... This is chapter 2. He says 14 years, so over the course of 17 or 18 years, he's been preaching this one true gospel and out of all those years, there's only been 15 days that he ever spent with the actual apostles who walked with Jesus Christ. Right? So he's disqualifying himself instead of qualifying himself in my mind. And then in verse 2, he only went... Then, because God literally told him to. God gave him a revelation and told him to go to Jerusalem to privately share his gospel with those other apostles. So, he said, I didn't go up there so that they could give me credit. I went up there because God told me to. It's the only reason I went up there to hang out with them dudes. And then verse 3... But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised. So Titus goes up, and he's what the, the, the passage calls him a Greek. That doesn't mean that's necessarily his ethnicity. It just, it'd be like saying Bob's an American, right? Like we can all have different ethnicities. But what it did mean is that he wasn't a Jew. He wasn't one of God's original people. So there would be reason for him among Christian Jews to be asked to be circumcised. But Paul says they didn't ask him to be circumcised. And in verse 4, it says, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, those are those same false teachers that Paul's writing the letter to and dealing with that taught the Galatians a false gospel. Right? Five, they refused to compromise to protect the truth for others' benefit. To them we did not yield in submission for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you and us today. They never compromised. And then in verse 6 it said, From those who seemed influential, those of influence added nothing to Paul. And he goes on and say, God shows no favoritism. So just because those dudes hung out with Jesus daily, doesn't mean that they're any more special than me. Right? Verse 7, On the contrary, when they saw I'd been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, his specific calling was confirmed to solidify their very existence. So, what happened there gives evidence to the churches in Galatia that what he taught them was actually true. right? And then verse 8, basically it says the same Holy Spirit that enabled Peter to be an apostle and minister to the the Jews is the same Spirit in Paul that enabled him to minister to the Gentiles. Well, what's that mean? That means it's the Holy Spirit, it's the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead to life. And that same Spirit is in the Christian church. Today. Amen? All right. Each of those things mentioned should have contributed to his authority over the churches in Galatia, but he emphasizes those same things for the opposite reason. He wants them to know I could clearly say that because I was with the apostles, y'all should listen to me, but he says the opposite because it's the gospel of grace and grace alone is what enabled Paul to do the ministry that God called him to. There's no place or person that elevates Paul so that his message should be received over the false teachers, but rather the evidence given by what he received from God Himself was the reason that the apostles knew he he was who he said he was, he was formerly from the same group of religious fanatics that were responsible for crucifying Jesus himself. And he had a reputation for literally hunting down, persecuting, and giving the go-ahead on certain Christians to be murdered. So in my mind, when I think about that, I would think that there would be hostility from the apostles when Paul approached. I would think that there would be unforgiveness towards Paul. Even some uh, getting together and talking about how now's their chance to get revenge on Paul for all the things Paul had done to make their life difficult. But what happens in verse 9 is where grace teaches every one of us another valuable lesson. I'm not sure about you guys, but oftentimes I've gotten myself in trouble simply by basing my opinion on, and to be very transparent, as if I have a right to do this, making judgments through perception alone. And what I've learned the hard way over the years is that perception is not always reality and every one of us should give everyone else the benefit of the doubt. However, there's one case when perception is reality. And it's when someone encounters the living God where a radical, unexplainable change occurs. You can't explain it. You recognize an individual you may have known from your past, and all you know now is they look different, they talk different, and they walk different. The grace of God and the sinner collide. And grace wins every time. You can't resist it when God initiates it. Now, notice what verse 9 says. Because this is everything that I feel like needs to be communicated today. Verse 9 says, "...perceived the grace that was given to me." That means that the apostles, right... They knew I used to be a murderer. They knew I used to be a persecutor. All they could have expected was for me to possibly be the same. They've heard about me, but when I showed up, they perceived the grace that was given to me. That change in an individual that's unexplainable. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. The exchange between the apostles and Paul based on that right there, apparently was a good one, even though I would have been really upset with Paul and been trying to figure out how I get revenge on Paul, due to, and I want you to hear, hear me say this, due to that, that, that uh, relationship went really well, that encounter went really well, due to what they saw, not because of what Paul said. Perception can be reality when grace gets involved. And when they saw the Apostle Paul and the change that they couldn't explain, they really didn't even need to hear what he was going to say. Although they did, and that was was necessary. But seeing the change is what convinced them. This guy, he had to be humble, and he was definitely different for them to say, man, this dude is all about it, right? Right? Immediately, all the possible hostility that the apostles would have rightfully had, I want you to hear me say that, they rightfully had, was destroyed, demolished, even overcome. Even overcome. All of a sudden, grace changes things so much that a person can forget everything the other person had done. That's what can happen, right? And then it connects two camps of people to serve the Lord in different places to two different people groups as one unified group of church leaders. You go minister to the Gentiles and we'll stay here and minister to the Jews. And what that does for us is teaches us a lesson. Really, it's just a good reminder that transcends over thousands of years back to this very day that we're reading about to the heart of each one of us here this morning. You can't argue with grace. What I mean is you can't argue with somebody who was formerly known for this and all of a sudden now is known for this, and not only have you heard about it, but now you've seen it. I can argue with religion. Okay? Why? Because religion is simply an individual who observes something on a specific day once a week. And yes, they may not be murdering someone or or something to that extent. However, you notice that individual, there's really no big change. All they're doing is going to a place to say they've been to church, right? Like that's that's religion. I can argue with religion because there's no change. Just a momentary observant that Paul refers to as slavery. Remember when he said in verse 4, slipped in to spy out our freedom so that, w- that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. Any time... And, and all the time that you step out from underneath the covering of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace, you are stepping back into slavery and condemnation. Because you're outside from being underneath the blood of Jesus. And that same grace that Paul received and was passionate about is the same grace that we receive from God. And even if you... Haven't. Maybe you're here today because somebody made you come, or your wife threatened you, they drug you to church, and you're here, and you're not like some of the others that are here who are praising the Lord or trusting in Christ. You just simply haven't put your pride down, turned from your sin to trust in Jesus to be saved from God's coming wrath, that hostility of God. It's real. The same grace is available today for anybody here outside of Jesus Christ. But I'm going to come back to that because right now I want to talk to the children of God. Because some of us some of us act like we skipped that class on grace. We received the grade, we trusted in Jesus, and we to pass and and we graduated from death to life, but we treat grace like algebra 2 as an adult and we never apply it. Right? Has anybody ever used Algebra 2 yet since high school? I haven't. Right? You ever have that conversation? Like, I, I was in college and I literally wrote a paper, an argument, why we shouldn't have to take Algebra 2 because you don't ever use it when you're an adult. That was my argument. Right? Well, that's, somehow, that's how some of us treat grace as a Christian. And unfortunately, I'm guilty. And I want to share my own experience from this past week. I can tell you, uh, Monday morning, let me get away from this. Monday morning, this is embarrassing, but I'm going to be real with every one of you. Monday morning, we get up, and Brittany, um, Brittany just confesses to me immediately. She's like, man, I just feel a little bit of anxiety. I'm afraid I'm going to have a bad day. And you know, when you do that, like you think you're going to have a bad day, you typically have a bad day. So super Christian Roger decides that moment, you know, I'm going to love her through today. I'm going I'm to like purposely try to do things to be helpful for her because that's what I would teach other people to, to do. And, and I, you know, I don't want to be a hypocrite. So uh, throughout the day, what I'm leaving out is the backstory. My dad, who has never been to our house from Florida, decided he was going to visit this week. So not only uh, did she have a lot going on at work and uh, just you know other things, um, Hallie's school and all that stuff that she had to deal with, she also felt obligated to make sure that the home looked a certain way because my dad was coming to visit. Well, guess what? All the things that she had asked me to do the week before that, I never did because we're just totally opposite. Like, I'm a huge procrastinator. I wake up on Sunday mornings and write the majority of my sermon. Most people would never do that, right? Brittany's a planner and she likes things to be methodical and things to be taken care of so at the last minute they don't have to be done. Well, guess what? That's what I did. So there's all these things that I should have done that she asked me to do that I never did. And as we're going throughout the day, she's texting me, oh, this happened at work or this happened there. And I'm, hey, babe, I love you. I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. And we get home later that day and she was, uh, you know, it was obvious that she was upset. She had a right to be mad at me. So every, every step forward to her in love, she was saying some mean things that I deserve back at me. Like she don't have a filter. Like she really just says what she's going to say. And I'm real sensitive and it hurts my feelings. And, and, you know, at first I was like, okay, I'll take that one. I'll take it. I love you anyways, babe. Okay, yeah, I'll take care of it. And then it just escalated and escalated, and finally she like, just gave it to me. And uh, I remember leaving, and I, I walked away. I was like, I'll tell you what, boy, she don't know the old me about to jump out, start saying something. I'll treat her like she deserves, like if, uh, you know, she don't know who she's messing with. And in my mind, that's the way I began to think. And unfortunately, I'm guilty of immediately not extending grace to my own wife. I was convinced that I was justified in being angry at her. I was convinced that she didn't deserve my love anymore. And gently, the Spirit just reminded me that I'd forgotten what had been done for me. And I was choosing I had to choose to go against my flesh and I text her and I apologize for causing her to stress. And I told her that I loved her. And before anyone thinks, well, that's that's nice of you. Hey, way to go, Roger. I promise you, it wasn't me at all. It was all God. Teaching me once again where and how love is most communicated to other people by tearing down walls of hostility. Where I was beginning to build up this resentment and this bitterness and this anger towards my own wife, who I covenanted to God to love sacrificially and unconditionally, I was ready to do some stuff to her. It shouldn't have been ever, you know, like say some things that I shouldn't say. I was, I was wanting to hurt her back, is what I remember thinking. And 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 God just reminded me, Roger. Remember what I done for you. And crushed me. Paul says it best in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of those other apostles, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So I ask you guys this morning, has God's grace in your life been in vain? Have you forgotten the unfathomable, the unsurmountable measure of grace that's been poured out into your life despite all the offenses and crimes that you've committed against God? Just this morning. If you're wondering, how do I know if God's grace in my life was in vain. It's real easy. Are you or have you withholding grace from someone that's caused offense against you? Are you refusing to extend the same grace that God has extended to you to someone else who doesn't deserve it? Because some of us act like the Powerball winner that hasn't went public yet. I, I'm assuming y'all know what that means, but apparently, I've, I've researched it a little bit. But there's individuals who win like the big powerballs, the big lotteries, and uh, they don't immediately come out at, publicly as the winner. They hide because they take time to strategically set themselves up. They have all the riches they would need for a lifetime, but don't want to share it, so they hide. They're winning lottery numbers until they've managed their circumstances to benefit and protect themselves. So sure, the Powerball will provide you everything you need. But it's all temporary. I want to share another story with you. I've told you guys before. uh, I worked for Don Moore before. I left there last year. And... um, I was a manager and there was another manager and and we were friends and we worked together and we had a good relationship. And I remember we were talking one day about, man, the Powerball's gotten really big. We should all go and get a Powerball ticket. And of course, I don't do that today, not because I'm saying it's a sin. I just just don't do it. I'd end up that guy with like hiding in the parking lot, scratching off 200 tickets, you know, hoping to explain to Brittany how I got there. So like, I just can't do those things. And uh, anyways, we were talking about winning the lottery. And I was like, man, that would solve all our problems, right? Like, that's the thinking behind the lottery. And he responds, actually, I won a million dollars one time from the lottery. I was like, get out of here. What are you doing here? You know what I mean? I was like, man, I want to hear all about it. Tell me all about it. He's like, I'd be glad to tell you all about it. It destroyed my life. I lost my marriage because once we got the money in, you know, it was like, hey, well, we'll buy my brother a car, and we'll buy your sister a car. Well, one brother's car was better than the sister's car. So then the parents of the married couple got involved, and it was just nothing but division and dissension, and everybody wanted a piece of the money. And eventually, they lost their marriage. And he lost everything he had, and they lost every bit of that money that they won in that lottery. So it's temporary and it will come and it'll go and if you're in Christ I want you to hear me say this morning that you're more than a lottery winner because God has shown you mercy where you deserve justice God has extended grace where you should have gotten the wrath of God grace itself can be broken down into God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace makes us rich and affords us more than money could ever buy because God made a deposit into your account when you were spiritually dead. You were bankrupt. And the deposit's called the Holy Spirit, which gives us things that the world and the Powerball can't provide. I don't chase happiness anymore. Instant gratification, temporary satisfaction, because I have a real, true joy. It's overwhelming and different than anything I'd ever experienced in happiness. I have a hope today that not only have I been saved, but I've been saved to something far greater than anything I've experienced here on this world. I have a peace that although my life at times may get chaotic and crazy and deal with nothing but crisis, there's a peace within me that nothing has ever provided me other than the Holy Spirit itself. Many of us have an issue with hearing just how bad we are in terms of the standard being Christ and Christ alone. Not realizing it demonstrates just how amazing grace is and how much love God has and is capable of giving. Grace doesn't make sense. We don't deserve it and we surely didn't earn it. But that's how rich we are in Christ. And it should serve as a reminder as to why we should do the same for others. To do otherwise would make God's grace in your life done in vain. Music team can start heading this way. Many of you here this morning think That our measure of Christian maturity is based on your knowledge of Scriptures or our degree of hand-raising and hollering in response to music being played on Sunday morning. When in reality, your ability to extend grace to someone who doesn't deserve it is what defines and demonstrates your Christ-likeness. So I want you to think about that. I want you to receive that this morning. There's nothing that adds to you or that you can earn that will make you look more like Jesus than doing exactly what God did with and through Jesus for someone else. Grace is the ocean that all streams and rivers of forgiveness and mercy flow from. And the reason some of you all have a difficult time forgiving others who've rightfully wronged you is because you fail to remember the mountain of sins that you were set free from. So maybe we should excuse ourselves from sitting on the throne and find our way back to the table where we rightfully belong so that we never find ourselves straying from the one true gospel, the gospel of grace, where Paul, former enemy to Christianity, clearly understands he benefited from God, the grace from God, then the apostles who who had every reason and right to be angry at him and try to harm him, but extended grace to him. And not only grace to him, but extended the hand of fellowship to him and brought him in as one of the brothers. And then Paul, who planted the churches in Galatia, who invested his life, his time, his energy, sacrificed everything for the churches there, leaves and they start believing a false gospel from false teachers and instead of Paul Saying things he had every right to say, he doesn't, he sends a letter of love to explain to them and extend grace to them so they can be reminded that it's grace and grace alone. And we should all learn to do the same because grace is liberating and it brings peace where hostility takes up residence in our hearts. That's what I want you to hear this morning is although you may be justified and you may have a right to be mad at other brothers and sisters, when you consider what God has done for you, I don't know that you really have a right at all. I'm not minimizing the hurt or the harm that's been done to you. I'm not unsympathetic. I'm not considering how valid your feelings may be. I'm just telling you, if you stay in that, it's going to be bad for you. It's going to cause more consequences for you that I don't think that you really truly understand, nor want. So if there's things here this morning that you've got against other people, you don't have to come forward. You don't have to do anything special. You can just cry out to God right now from your heart and say, Lord, I don't want to forgive nobody right now. I'm not going to let that go. I understand I can forgive this and this and that, but this here, that's too far. That's too far. I'm hanging on to this one. You need to understand that the same grace that was available to the apostles that forgave Paul and the Paul forgave the Galatians is the same grace that's available to you today. You can lay it all down. You can finally let go You can walk back to the cross instead of away from the cross. And you can leave it all there and you can experience the freedom that comes through the grace of God. The liberating, set-you-free type freedom. Who wants to stay angry all the time? Who wants to be upset at people? Guys, I've prayed all week that you guys wouldn't just hear me today, but you would receive this today. That you would take this. I remember in the moment being mad at Brittany and honestly thinking to myself, I'm going to teach her a lesson. I ain't going to talk to her the rest of the day. I'm going to show her. And the Spirit just, it does what it does. Like, Right? Jesus said that the Spirit will come and it will bring remembrance of all things that I've told you. And I remember in that moment thinking to myself, man, who am I to hold something against her? And I just, I just let it go. I text her and I said, man, I hope you forgive me. I love you. I don't want to say this right now, but the Spirit's forcing me to say this because you are worthy of love that you don't deserve. Right? It's the grace of God. So I pray that you guys think about this, you receive this, but also that you extend this. I don't care how many Scriptures you can quote. I don't care if you flop around on the ground out here during a worship song. I don't care who you follow, what theology you have. If you ain't got grace, you ain't got nothing. You ain't got nothing. The greatest demonstration of Jesus Christ Himself is being Jesus Christ to those who don't deserve it. Because we don't deserve it. And for those of you here this morning who've yet to trust into Christ, you're still holding on to some of these ways of life that the world has taught you is right. Your sin, and you refuse to let it go, there's a reason you refuse to let it go because you're believing the promise of that sin is going to provide something that Christ can't. And I'm here to tell you today Jesus Christ provides everything you can imagine and more. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus and you want to know Jesus, Nick's over here. There's some other guys here. They don't have to be a pastor. You can talk to anybody here that does know Jesus so they can point you to Jesus. And they can explain to you why you need Jesus. I'm going to pray. While I'm praying, I'm just asking that you guys consider what I said. Think about the individual that you've been holding hostility against. And then compare that to what God could hold against you. And get on your knees and thank God that He didn't give you what you deserved. So that it may soften your heart that you may give someone else the same. Lord, I just pray over everybody. I give thanks for everybody here this morning. I give thanks for this message of salvation that's a free gift from God. That there's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing that we can add to it that makes us any more saved. All we got to do is turn from our sin and trust in You and become a Christian. We love You, Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today. A special thanks to those who sow into this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us financially, text all one word, Matthew's Table, to 73256. That's Matthew's Table to 73256. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you like what you've heard, click the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You never know what God can do through your one act of obedience. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. God bless.